everyone, and welcome to GameSpot Gameplay. I am not Kevin DeVanord. I'm very sorry he's not here today, but I am Tom McShay, and I'm filling in as the hosting duties, uh, and I am joined by two of the most brilliant minds in the GameSpot offices. We have Carolyn Pettit. Hi, yes. <laughs> How are you doing, Carolyn? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here, and God help us all with you hosting this show, Tom <laughs> oh, McShay. No. That's cruel. Thanks. And we have Mary, Mary Kish, who is a video producer and hey. has never been on the show before. Welcome. I have so much to say. So much to learn. <laughs> so much to add to this show. Yes. You'll be great. Yes. And behind the controls is Benita Gonzalez. Hello. Who wants to start things up with a little rant about Titanfall. Yeah. So the Titanfall DLC came out yesterday, as maybe a few people know. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, they removed Capture the Flag and Pilot Hunter from the PC version. And that's the, like the mode I primarily play. And Why? I'm, Why did they they remove the modes altogether? Yeah, they just they just Cuz I heard them. I mean, I understand that they changed I, I don't play Titanfall, so but they changed in uh in Capture the Flag on console like how <clears throat> the ways in which you can carry the flag. Yeah, I mean that that's right? that's changed in PC as well, but in so so now the only way you can play CTF uh Titanfall is either in a private server or uh, through the that 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 mix ma mix match mix and match thing. I forgot what it's called. Uh, what I find matchmaking. Match, no, not the matchmaking. The okay. The the variety pack. Yeah, the expedition variety pack. It That's seems like a weird PR move to just not um, even say anything about. It. I find that weird. Like it's one thing to remove it because of technical issues or um, I don't know. Maybe like they had to do some bug fixing on it, but to just. To just not say anything to me seems like, like a disservice like, to all the people like who maybe are playing. Maybe nobody it. will notice if we just <laughs> quietly take this out of here. Yeah. No shit. So like I was just really mad this morning when I found oh. that out. So I just had to put Sorry, this Benito. On. I'm glad you could get that off your chest. Yeah. Th thanks for letting me get it off my chest. Yeah. Sure. What are you gonna do this weekend if you can't play with I you don't want? know. <laughs> Go see Godzilla like seven times. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Th they're gonna remove it from the um, <laughs> from the from the movie theaters, <laughs> the movie theater. Like, so you can still go, but it won't play. Right, and they're just gonna hope that you assume that you saw it, and that would be the end of it. <laughs> yep, that's the best I can do. So we're gonna go on with the rest of the things now. Uh, yeah. From Electronics Arts, weirdly removing a mode to Microsoft, kind of predictably, kind of weirdly removing the Connect as a standard inclusion with the Xbox One yeah. before they were bundled together. It was four, $500, and starting June 9th, for $400, you can get just the Xbox One system on its own, and the Connect is no longer relevant. So the first thing that comes to mind with this is um, the, the inclusion of the Connect would therefore make the system more expensive. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think there was any way that Microsoft could have justified the existence of this peripheral or do you think the price was always going to be a killer at the retail shelves? I, I guess I can, I can envision some alternate universe in which there there was some amazing game for for the Connect that convinced a lot of people to you know that they that this is something that they really needed to have. Like, um, you know, for, I mean, Harmonix is working on Fantasia, yeah. which is a game that's going to use Connect. You know, it, it is a Connect game. It is Connect is core to what that experience is. I know that uh, Harmonix is definitely not thrilled about the Connect no longer being a built-in <laughs> part of the of the Xbox One sort of user base. Um, but I feel like Microsoft pushed so hard with messaging the Connect as um, as a as a tool for like 
interacting with you, you know you know your television and these mm. kinds of things and that's how the people i know who really value connect like that's what connect is for them it's like xbox on you know do this do that it's, it's all about system. yeah it's a, it's just part of the, the it's the voice commands for their entertainment center is what they like about it and uh but uh, i just don't know if we're we if people care enough about that because i don't know i mean i'm i'm perfectly happy with my remote control and just <laughs> i mean this is the thing that you know when it was pushed uh at e3 last year or or whenever that conference was where yeah, the guy was like the there's got to be a better way to watch television and i made a i made a crack about it cuz i thought that that was kind of a, yeah. an absurd thing to say and microsoft picked it up and used my tweet as a promotional ma- as a promotional material cuz they didn't understand that i was being completely sarcastic <laughs> Mary, uh, do you, do you yeah. agree that you, like like one or two games wouldn't have been enough to even save this the the peripheral? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to a console, everybody always says they're waiting to buy the consoles based on that next big game, and you haven't really seen you know lines down the street for a PS4 or an Xbox One because there hasn't been any like game you know console selling games. And what's more, on top of that, like a peripheral selling game that to me is just like this additional cost that you would have to really sell me on this amazing game for me to want to purchase that yeah i i don't know um i mean i i saw like last night during the basketball game all these ads for connect sports rivals yep that's being pushed really hard i i don't know do you know how that's selling at all have you checked sales it was not in the mpds that were released yesterday so it's not one of the top 10 most popular games that also makes sense because it's on one platform right um yeah i mean i don't know if i guess from a gaming standpoint right connect on xbox 360 was never accepted as like a a a necessary part of of the gaming experience so i i I don't see Microsoft like expecting things to be different with the Xbox One, right? I mean, they've 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 tried this before. They've kind of tested the waters with it before. Right. There's no reason to expect that things were suddenly going to change on the Xbox One. So I think that they they I think they really were hoping that that pushing it as you know an integrated part of it of like an entertainment center experience. Yep was the way to go. I agree with you, Carol. I think they were banking on that and they were kind of hoping that the games would come along. I know that they were really uh, excited about developer interaction and they were, you know, they were just throwing out dev kits and saying, you know, we want to see you guys make the games. We're really excited. And I do think there's a few pieces coming out there, but nothing, again, that is a console seller, let alone an additional, you know, peripheral seller, which is truly, I mean, just this additional cost that people just don't want. Connect Sports... Even if, even if it was popular, I just don't see it. It's not. I don't right. think it will be. I don't think it'll be <laughs> yeah. on the top ten. I don't think people will care about it that much. And I'm shocked that you know it took them this long. What I find interesting personally is the mindset of their decisions. We've been kind of mulling over why, why tell us now? You know why do this? And this is very interesting. Yeah. times that they've been releasing all these tidbits from, you know, oh, we're going to reduce the price of the Kinect, which can be seen as bad, right? And they do it before E3 so that we're not talking about it. And then they announced Halo 5, yeah. which is this really great way to say, like, oh, Kinect sucks, like PlayStation's, you know, going to beat you. And then they're coming back out with, with Halo 5. So they're doing this on purpose. They have a really good... You know, uh, yeah. people are starting to like them again right before E3. Right. Yeah, this is also yesterday was the MPDs, uh, the American sales, and the Xbox One sold 111,000. So, like, this is this is a good way to cushion. Like, April wasn't good, but the future looks bright. Right, and and by getting announcements like the Connect thing sort of out of the way now, it positions them to 
be able to do, you know, to, to kind of correct where I think a lot of people felt they went wrong last year at this year's E3, which is like to, to just kind of focus totally or at least mostly on the games, right? right. And not on these kinds of peri- console war kind of things yeah. they don't really want to dive yeah. into. They don't want it to be aggressive. I think they want to focus on the content on the games. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it was a good choice for them to do it the way they did it. Because at this stage, maybe it'll be old news by the time E3 rolls around. People just want to know. Well, what do you have to show us? Yeah. So we've seen Nintendo, they introduced the Wii Remote uh, in 2007, and it's kind of a dead-end technology in that it's, you know, they didn't carry it through with the Wii U, and a lot of people were resistant to the motion controls, and and Sony has their own motion controller, the Move, which, you know, there's some good games with it, but it's, nobody cares. Right. Uh, and now the Kinect is also being pushed to the wayside. Um, why are people so resistant to adopting new technology? Uh, well, I just think that the experience is... There haven't been the experiences out there that have made us feel like, okay, this is so great that now that now I want this to be a part of everything going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Like so many games where it's uh, where there are motion controls, it's like, oh, I, I wish I could just be playing this with a traditional controller, right? You, so as long as it's not the as long as this new technology is not meaningfully enhancing the experience, people are not gonna gonna embrace it, you know. And that's what I mean. That's why we're kind of at this really interesting threshold moving forward with uh, with like virtual reality like yeah. Oculus Rift and, yeah. and Sony's Project Morpheus and everything where you know no, some people are like this is really gonna 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 enhance these experiences in such a way that we will want to wear these things on our heads and you know just to have that more immersive <laughs> transportive experience and other people are like there's no way it's gonna be better you know like I like that that it will be so much better that 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 I'll want to put this thing on my head rather than just watch it on my television. Yeah. It's a killer app, right? Like yeah. that's yeah. the thing. No killer app yeah. for for connect or move. It was for Wii. It was the Wii Sports. That was the yeah. the killer. That was app. the thing. And yeah. there are comparisons that can be drawn from Wii Sports to the new Oculus and Morpheus. The idea of something new with games that were specifically designed exactly. to give you an experience with this said peripheral that so, work well. Yeah, exactly. Like Wii Sports was designed perfectly. It was meant for the Wiimote, and people felt like they got this package deal it was meant to be together and it worked really well and so there's nothing that says people are afraid of new technology they loved that technology we was or we was like most popular yeah. gaming system for a really long time but we've seen it and we've been there and now what they're trying to do is they're trying to force games that might not necessarily fit into a you know that type of game and they're trying to make people make games for this peripheral. Yeah, it's not so about that the tech. Work. It it's not to... about the tech, it's about the software. It's right. And yeah. it's going to happen again. I believe it'll happen. You're going to see those issues with uh with Morpheus and Rift as well because, you know, unless you're playing, you know, a game in a submarine or in space, you know, in some kind of cockpit type thing, you have a really hard time uh feeling that. We played a, a demo of Zelda on the Oculus and it was sickening because you're walking around and you don't understand and it's it's just too far gone. You have to be almost stationary in some kind of like cockpit environment that's mobile for it to work. So again, it's limiting the games. So, you know, after those games come out, what is going to propel the Oculus and it's things like Star that? Star Citizen. So uh, one of the things I think that connected, uh, it was like the reason it was integrated, it was smart, is that it kind of made it more mainstream because it was not just a video game console. Like it was something that anybody could use and it was so easy to just like turn it on and navigate Mm -hmm. that way. Like, do you think that not having the Kinect anymore makes it less mainstream and more 
you know, like it's more the specific audience that we're a part of. Do, do you think yeah. that, that it limits that now? Well, I, yeah, I absolutely feel like like so it's so early still in the Xbox One's life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so the the thing that I keep thinking back to is how the, oh, <laughs> the, no. the NES launched with like Rob as like a built in like a peripheral. Oh, yeah. You could not get the NES without Rob originally. Do you know why this was? No, I don't. So the reason why is because when Atari crashed the market, nobody, yeah. retailers oh. did not yes. like video game consoles. And so Nintendo said, no, this is not a video game console. It's a, it's this a is toy. a toy. Right. It's a toy. And we oh. saw Sony do something similar with the PlayStation where they said, no, this is not a video game console. The PlayStation is a computer. Yeah. Which is why it's called Sony Computer Entertainment. So, I mean, we've seen yeah. we've seen this resistance. But, yeah, you yeah, can only so, get a Rob with, with yeah. a Nintendo. And, yeah. and so, but then, like, like before. I mean, the NES was around for, you know, a good, what, five five years, you know, or more. And and after a certain point, it was like it, it nobody had Rob with the NES yeah. anymore. There's only three games for it. Yeah, it was a Gyromite and whatever the other ones um, were. Uh, <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> right, we don't even know, right? That's how, that's how bogus that thing was. I can't even and, think of another game. Yeah. And so, uh, like, it, the, it's going to be, like, it was... To the point where when I would go over to a friend's house, if they had Rob, it was weird. It was like, whoa, you you actually have the Rob. Um, it's going to be the same way, I think, with Kinect and the Xbox One. Like, it's just not going to be part of what we think of as the Xbox One package or experience. It's going to be a thing that, yes, yeah, some people have it, but does it really get used much? Like, hardly ever. Yeah. yeah. Just a, just update. Uh, two games for the Rob. Yeah. Robot the robot series Gyromite and Stack Up. Stack Up. Oh my god. Thank <laughs> you for that quick uh brief. Yeah. two games. Yeah. So they supported as much as Microsoft supported the Kinect, basically. Oh right now. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> so do you, I mean do you think do you think that it's plausible that people would have bought a Kinect one as like you know, not as a video game console, as something more than that? Because I know that like Aaron Sampson is talking about he wants to buy an Xbox One because he can push it more to like his, his wife who doesn't play games. More is like, right. oh, it's it's not just a video game console. Like, do you think that that is all like BS does anyone remember or do you think that's real? Thing? Does anyone remember that Microsoft Room thing? That they oh, were yeah. Pitching? Yeah. Like, I wanted that. Yeah, it's the thing that like shoots out like a holographic image yeah. uh, from the console itself and turns the room into like, you know, the jungles of crisis or something. Yeah. Where's that? I don't know. So so was that all just the smoke there blowing up people's butts? Or is that like a real thing where like that actually did have mainstream appeal potentially? Yeah, I think it was a strategy that they tried, you know, and that it, it didn't work out as well as they as they hoped. Right. Okay. And, and and now they they are kind of backpedaling on all of that and realizing, OK, what's in our best interest is to focus on games and appeal to double down on games, appeal to, you know, gamers Um and uh, yeah, I don't. I hate that word, but you know, but whatever. It, well, a lot of their yeah. market was core gamers. Like when you think of you know people who are obsessed with Xbox, you think of you know people who were really into Halo. Yeah, or, Halo like, and core, Gears and, and stuff. Gears of War, yeah. like core gamers that probably couldn't give a shit if they have Netflix on it. They wanted to play their games right. and they wanted that experience. And it, I think, they felt like Microsoft had lost their way a little bit to kind of. Avoid that. I mean, when you look at the ad, the original ad you were talking about that has like, you know, where the background changes and they did this thing where they would scan your skateboard and then you could play with the skateboard that you scanned and yeah, things like awesome. that. And that, that ended up probably not making it either. As far as I'm aware, a lot of that tech didn't get in. But nevertheless, when that ad came out, people said, I mean, that's not really important to me. I don't need to scan my skateboard. I want to be able to play next gen games. 
just like I do right now. I want the same experience I have right now with my Xbox. They didn't really they didn't go that direction. I yeah. think they were going towards that home system. I think I know some people who use it. I think Sean does. Uh, I think like yeah, I mean Ke- uh, uses the Kinect. You mean yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, Kevin does. Kevin uses it as a as a home entertainment. Yeah, I think his uh, wife. Device. Yeah, um, Kevin or Sean's wife does. Yeah. He like you know he he uses it to like watch movies sure. and stuff like that, Hulu and stuff like that. So I mean, it does it does have a function. I think um, I don't think it's necessary. Okay, so one last question, then we'll move on to another topic. Now that Microsoft has backtracked on like everything that made the Xbox One unique, yeah, what do you think their vision is of this system? Interesting. To me, it seems like the vision becomes uh, go, you know, go back to what the to what made the 360 work. That kind of appeal again for like hardcore gamers, people who are into shooters like Halo and Gears and those kinds of things. Like, like have that as the base, and maybe you know do things occasionally to try to reach out to other groups and pull them in a little bit, but, but you know, really rely on and f- stay focused on that base of, you know, what, what might be referred to as hardcore gamers. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to be pushing more towards uh, games. I think we're going to see that at E3 this year. I anticipate uh, not just that they're showing games, that they're going to be announcing the production of games that are going to blow people away. Because that's where they're really going to make up steam. And that's where we're going to see next year. I mean, the last year at E3, it was console, console, console. They were doing was talking about the consoles. This year, it's going to be game-focused. And everything is going to be pitted up against which games are better for exclusives. So they're going to be pushing exclusives. And I think that's what's really going to make them. That's what's, I think that's why they made these announcements before E3. You don't announce that Halo 5 is coming before E3 unless you have some really good stuff coming up that's at E3. That's true. the only way they would do that. Yeah, That is a very good point. Okay, so we're, we're now going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about something completely different. I'm pretty sure my hips have never done that voluntarily. I'm glad that you got to, if, if you're only listening on podcast, that was Sean dancing. So you, you should probably download the video version of this. Back from 2011. I know. Amazing. Uh, so, okay. Here's another big topic this week that really interested me. Uh, Ubisoft in their financial report yesterday announced that Far Cry 4 is coming out this year, uh, this November for every system known to man except for the Wii U. Yeah. Um, and they had a promotional piece of artwork that um, I don't. Okay, so we're gonna show we're gonna show the artwork, but it shows a man uh, in a throne with a purple shirt, and he's got uh, like a. So, yeah, I don't know if you want to describe. Well, it. I mean, I don't. This is a this is a complicated kind yes. of issue, he's right? Got a man bending down he's, before yeah, him with a bomb in his hand. He seems to be like subjugating another man yeah. who is of a different ethnicity like so we know it's in the himalayas yeah right mm-hmm. so the man who's being kind of subjugated there is perhaps a native of that region and he's like holding a grenade in his hand right so clearly this guy in the purple suit is is exerting power over this other guy um he's sitting on he's basically using as a throne like a, a destroyed you know statue of, of buddha so you know there's a lot there's a lot, a lot, going, a on lot there. going on in the image yeah so mary yeah. What does this picture express to you? What is like your instinctual 
What does it communicate to you personally? Wow. Um, well, I appreciate you starting with me. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure Carol has a lot to say about it. To me, I mean, I think it's so early to tell. Um, you know, there's a really good chance that you don't even know who you're playing as yet. I mean, you could be that guy with the grenade that mm -hmm. kind of um, kind of rises from the nothing to kind of stop this man. Um, that dude could be... Uh, he could just be a nice guy, and we just don't know it yet. He might just be. <laughs> Carol, yeah. You what can't do you judge think? a man by his purple suit, Carol. What yeah. do you think Ubisoft's intention was with this video? What do you What do you think they're trying to elicit in people? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, we there was a conversation earlier today in the office with, uh, like, Giancarlo Bernini and stuff about this. And I think, you know, he was right to say that Ubisoft knew that this image would get people talking. And that that's what they wanted, right? And... So, you know, I think that it, it's, you know, smart for them to put out this image now and, and get, you know, get get people talking about about it, speculating about it. Like, what what does this tell us about the game? Mm -hmm. All these kinds of things. Because um, in reality, if they would have announced Far Cry 4 without any without this picture, <laughs> yeah, we would have said. I like Far Cry 3. I'm looking forward to this. Or I didn't like that. I don't yeah. care about this. And that yeah. would have been the extent of the conversation. But yeah. now we're at, like you and I are talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And so, I mean, part of the issue, too, is, I mean, you know, it is a Far Cry game. Yes. A lot of people feel that Far Cry 3 was pretty problematic in its subject matter, right? I mean, you played as this white dude who kind of, you know, helps these people of color you know, overthrow oppression, oppression and things like this, right? And, like, that's a narrative that's been told an awful lot throughout, throughout you know, uh, Western media and entertainment, and it's kind of problematic. And so it's it's sort of like, okay, well, we, we you know, Far Cry as a series doesn't have the best track record for, like, dealing with these issues sensitively. And so, I, I, like, I don't, I, I don't think... I, I don't I think it's you know too soon we don't know anything about what about the game's narrative right mm -hmm. um, so I I guess I just like for me when I look at discussions around this the only the perspective that I really have a problem with which is one that keeps coming up is is you know it's ridiculous to even have any concerns about this or to think that this might be racist or, or troubling it's a video game blah 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 or whatever and it's like you know. Video games matter. They they communicate things about the world we live in. It's okay to have thoughts that this might be kind of problematic or troubling. Like I like so for me, I mean, I I'm not saying there's nothing set in stone yet. I don't. I, I mean, I feel like everything is still open. But but you but know, you're already anticipating that it is going to be problematic I'm, because I'm, you're assuming that a white dude in stubble is going to save that man from that evil purple suit. No, dude. I'm no. I mean, that's what ha I. I have no idea who you're going to play as. And I'm just saying that it's okay to suspect that the game might end up right. being problematic. You're you're already kind of but, on that train, though. Well, well I mean, because you could history. predict correctly. I mean, because, video, I mean, because video games have given me a reason to think that there are... That they might go might not handle that <laughs> they might not handle these kinds of subjects with the uh, the responsibility and the sensitivity and the intelligence that these that these things deserve right so I, I guess mean that's kind of what I want to know do yeah. video games or Ubisoft specifically have they earned the benefit of the doubt in using controversial <clears throat> image or or do we or should we like immediately reactionarily well, question anything like that see again like I, I don't think it's 
to say like this image suggests that this game might be troubling is not the same as saying like, you know, rage, I'm going to be angry about this forever. It's just talking about the possibilities yeah. of what this image is communicating and how that but might was, end up be troubling. If this was like if a, and, and a so, director that you really appreciated, like, yeah. um, so who did yeah, the, it's the who credibility did the thing, skin? right? It's the like, credibility. Yeah. If, if you saw, if you saw like a, a, a director that you really admire, like, sure. Like you would probably give the benefit of the doubt. Do you think right. games in general have earned the benefit of the doubt at this point that we should be more lenient and tolerant of this? Or do you think it is totally fair to say, I, I have an immediate issue with You're this? You're talking about a whole medium it. though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no, I totally, I'm I mean, talking about an entire medium. Getting pretty broad I, I mean, I do here. think, I, I think, I think that each game should be judged on its own merits. Okay. And when yes. Far Cry 4 comes out, I think that we should look at the game yeah. for what it is on its own terms and what it says and all of that. But I, I'll, but, I also think that, yes, that games in general, again, typically or, or very often, uh, you know, send troubling messages about these about the world that we live in. And that it's and that it's OK to talk about that. It's OK to criticize them when they do that. It's OK to to think that it that it's a, a problem when games when games deal with these issues irresponsibly. Right. And so. Yeah, I mean... Well, my fear is when you release an image like this, then the topic of discussion will be the moral implications of it, the worldviews of it, and when the game comes out, there's so many more things besides who you play as <clears throat> and the story. There's, sure. there's a lot to Far Cry games that are yeah. worth getting excited about. Absolutely. And I, I wonder... I assume that this was mostly just like you said, a marketing ploy, really well timed to get us to discuss Far Cry, yeah. not just say, "Ooh, a Far Cry is coming out." But and, <clears throat> there's yeah. a lot more that will make a game good, and, yeah. um, even if it. You can have a great, right. you can have a great experience, even when you know the character doesn't really it, push boundaries. It, per a, se. Absolutely right. I mean, and it, and you can love games that have, and, and acknowledge that they're kind of effed up in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. you, like it's okay. See, that's the other area that a lot of people struggle with is that they, when they like a thing, you know, like if if you say, well, yeah, you know, it has this problem. It's a little racist, but it's also <laughs> super fun. People feel they get defensive and they feel like you're attacking, saying that they're a bad person or whatever. Right. And it's like, it's okay to like it. It's okay. Like Far Cry Three is a super fun game, right? It's yep. like the world is beautiful. It's the shooting feels good. The mechanics are great. Like the way that you can interact with the bases and, you know, use animals kind of to take out bad guys and all these systems for like progressing and building up your skills and the squirrel suit. You know, it's it's a super, super, super fun game. It doesn't take anything away from that aspect of it right. for a person to say, you know, it's maybe it's kind of racist, too. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's it can be both. Yeah. Games can be games are multifaceted, and we can appreciate them or think about them critically on multiple levels. And we should, I think, because if we, you know, if we want to think that games are a medium that's worthy of being talked about in the same sort of um, sphere as things like film and novels and stuff, which you know, in those things we we think about them from every level, and we talk about them when when we find them troubling and so on and so forth, like we have to acknowledge that, that this stuff matters in games, just like it does in, in any other medium. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to judge Far Cry three story cause I don't, I don't know it too much. <laughs> yeah. But no matter how it turned out in your eyes, it, 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 it wanted to accomplish something. Yeah. It wanted to say something. Absolutely. So I guess that brings me back to 
AAA games, by and large, this is a generalization, but it's by and large, they want to be fun. Sure. Um, is it difficult to make a point story-wise when the mechanics are all geared towards let's have fun? I don't know if you ever thought about this, Mary. Do you, oh, but do you think that, that, that those ideas clash at all? No, I think you can absolutely accomplish both. I think you can appeal to emotion. Um, I think you can appeal to a sense of self and um, values in addition to having a great mechanic. I mean, this is a silly example, but I'm on the spot. Uh, and Gears of War 3, which is an absolute silly game. Actually, all the Gears of War series are really silly. They're meant to be super fun. They're not meant to be taken seriously. Like, made me really sad because of a love story that was in it. Um, Between with- Dom and, and Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> sorry. Um, you're, you're making a point. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is why I don't do these shows. Because of you, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, no, like they, they appeal to love and heart and, in a time of war, which I think is actually really interesting. The idea of um, having um, post-traumatic stress disorder, of having shock of war, and then still being able to love and care and move on of um, brotherhood and camaraderie. And I actually really connected with that game because of that. And I don't know if they were really trying to accomplish that. I don't think anyone looks at Gears of War and says, wow, what a powerful series that was for story. But it it, it got me. Sure. And I think if, if you know, a game like that can, can hit me, you will have games on any level of AAA that can really uh, appeal to people in their values in addition to having an amazing core mechanic. Uh, I think it's absolutely possible. I think it happens all the time. And I think that's why... I think we just love them so much. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think should put I, her on the spot more often. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, she's great. Um, <laughs> I, for me, it de- for me, it depends on, I guess, the kind of the kind of message or whatever that the game is trying to send. Right? Like, I don't think you can have a game that's anti-violence or anti-war, which in which the shooting is meant to feel good and be fun. Mm. What about uh, Hotline Miami? Because that game mechanically is is kind of brilliant. It's super, yeah. super fun, no, I, and it does have this point it is trying to make as well that is it's it's troubling. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think it, I don't think so. I mean, you, okay. yeah, yeah okay. you after you complete the level, you see all this blood around you and these, you know, the effects of your actions, but you know the, when you're in it and the you know the music is just so good and the action is just so intense and you're just like just trying it again and again and again until you get it and it's so satisfying. For me, the gameplay, the the the, the adrenaline rush of the gameplay uh, overwhelms a- any sort of oh my god, you're the violence you're committing is so wrong and horrifying message that the game might be trying See, to set. I'll take devil's advocate approach on this one. Mm. I imagine, and I've never killed anyone, but I imagine that if you if you are soldier in war, if Likely you are killing story. anyone ever, yeah, uh, I imagine there's a lot of, inge- of like, adrenaline. I imagine that is also viscerally satisfying if you do what you, like if you kill someone that you need to kill like a soldier would have to mm. and i imagine that you could also after the fact look back like they do in hotline miami and mm. be troubled by what happened. sure yep yeah but i think it's i think that it's just so different to talk about the real life experience of that versus oh yeah a game you know that's at the end of the day, is trying to be is trying to be enjoyable. Okay. I mean, anyone can uh, at least relate to the idea of maybe losing your temper or getting angry and kind of mm. venting it out, and then maybe 
a few hours later, like, days or whatever, and you look back and you go, oh, like, crap, oh, like, yeah. I really overreacted. And I had that experience, and I played Hotline Miami when uh, I was really into finishing a level. So I was having trouble beating it, so I was getting really angry. Plus the music, plus, you know, how I wanted to do it. I actually remember specifically not choosing a weapon and using my fist because I was angry because <laughs> I wanted to beat it. And um, I punched this dude to death, <laughs> and then the music changed. Right. And I reflected immediately that I had become a very angry person, so angry in my real life that I wanted to per- murder a person with my mitts because yeah. because that was how I was venting. And it did make me self-reflect that in that heat of the moment, man, you can really lose yourself and then and then regret. I don't know how much real world sway that has on me. Uh, I'm probably just as likely to kill someone now as before I played it. Um, which is high. Yeah, 60% chance. And, uh, and we'll see how it goes. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I think it did It did make me reflect personally. Yeah. And that was even before it was like kind of like a dis- debated topic. I remember catching myself thinking, well, I got too into that. Like I was, I was into it. But I also remember in Bioshock Infinite having the, uh, I couldn't relate to my character because even though they were, I don't know, they were racist and they were kind of jerks about it. And sure, they like tried to kill me once. I didn't understand why I was murdering so many people <laughs> um, that I had just never met. And I was robbing everyone I could see. And I was becoming a really bad person. <laughs> and I didn't really like myself. And to a degree, um, it didn't it didn't drive me to want to be this person, which is different than Hotline Miami. I still like enjoyed the game. I didn't feel like I was... And I lost myself in that game. Yeah. But in Bioshock, I was trying to finish this game and really complete this awesome story. But at the same time, I I really disliked me. And it, I don't know. I didn't really get the connection. As yeah. Well. That was actually the last question I was going to bring up. I have up, a slightly related question, though. Slightly okay. related question. What did you guys do in the no Russian part in Call of Duty? I didn't shoot anyone. Uh, yeah, so Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was the scene where you're in an airport and you're with the Russian yeah, terrorists, terrorists. And they say, don't shoot. An, or... Don't they, say anything. No Russian. No Russian. You're not allowed to speak. Yeah, yeah you can't say, speak Russian. But yeah, yeah, you can shoot everyone. All the civilians. Uh, I did not do that because I I was. Yeah, I didn't I, shoot anybody either. I couldn't. I didn't do that. I couldn't yeah. shoot anybody. <laughs> I mean, see that, but it, I Uh-oh. I did, I could shoot people right in that in that game because I understood that they're not real people and it doesn't. Yeah. It, you know that I wasn't taking actual sure, but if you're, lives. If you're role playing the game but, though, like yeah. you are this character, right? Yeah. I shot. I shot everyone. <laughs> I, I kind of do I separate myself almost similar to like when a movie gets too sad and the kids like I'll take my dog out back and shoot him you know I immediately look at the TV and go oh, it's a movie it's alright oh. when a movie when a video game gets too real I take a step back and shoot everybody shoot and laugh movie. about it which is probably why I was able to enjoy Bioshock Infinite because I just thought oh it's a game and you know it's colorful and beautiful yeah. and Hell, it's fun, sure. and I really enjoyed it. Dang. I didn't like me though. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. We're gonna take one more quick break, and then come back for our last segment. Where is this? Oh, there it is. This is Tom and his element <laughs> dancing on a pier. Whoa, that is a- more. Come on, more hip wiggle. It's a little weird. Like, oh my god, this is just like, where are you going? Not doing anything. Walking through. The hip wiggle's a little tougher to do. Well, you do, you today. gotta prove yourself. Man, I don't have to do anything in you, man. <laughs> 
This is really not me doing anything at all. That was really embarrassing. Nice moves, Tom. That was really embarrassing. We're going to forget that ever happened. There's uh, more clips like that on GameSpot.com, and I've been making GIFs of them, so I can put one up after the stream if anyone's interested. Just let me know. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> so the last thing we're going to talk about today is Super Time Force. This is a Xbox 360, Xbox One game. Woo! Yeah. Side-scrolling shooter where uh, when you die, you can rewind time and then play again from the past with another character, and you kind of team up with yourself over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the most... You reviewed this game in an 8, Carol. Yeah. So the most interesting thing for me is that um, usually with games, you don't have more than one life. This game, you have more than one life. So it kind of breaks game design conventions in that way and that you can kind of flood the screen with yourself. With yourself, yeah. So do you think it successfully did that or do you think it took shortcuts around that breaking what we know about game designs? Well, I guess, I mean, it's what's interesting to me about the game is that I feel like to in order to incentivize you to rely on the on the thing that makes this game different the time manipulation mechanic in a way it it almost has to be a somewhat poorly designed run and gun shooter right because if it were a well-designed run and gun shooter you could with enough skill cheat just like get through it like on one one life and not ever really need to, to do that but it's it's almost it's designed to kind of cheaply kill you or to make you die really? i think yeah, i mean it's, i think it's so in the level design right it's in the level design right see i, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't i don't think that i experienced i'm immediately so, gonna argue with you i didn't think i experienced many cheap deaths i okay. think that the clock yeah is what for because you have like a minute to beat each stage sure the mm. clock is what kind of forced me to rewind a lot of the time to be but i thought that the actual so okay so i thought think, the actual enemy placement and stuff was was pretty easy so you think you could kind of you know contra style or whatever you know, run through these stages on on one life. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I actually do think that would not okay. that be be that difficult. You wouldn't if, be able to finish the boss on one life, though. No, but, well, because of the time constraints, right. I think more yeah. than anything. Because I think that I think it's actually a very simple shooter. I, yeah, mm. I think it's. I mean, I just think it's designed in some ways to uh, make you at least at some points not aware of the the hazards that are coming at you, or you know, to not clearly see like where like where enemies are going to be and where yeah. they're shots or whatever are coming from so that you're more likely to die and then and then rewind and then knowing what you know from having just died you know try to uh play differently to to respond to the threat that you know killed you the last time so i mean mary you played this on a live stream with eric tay earlier this week i did so what, what was the biggest like surprise of, of of when you played this game that like you didn't expect right i was learning everything from scratch yeah. i had never even played it and looked at it really before we played it on the live stream. So I was catching everything and I was reading the um, how to play before I started and it said kill everything. So I figured I should really try to like kill everything like it said. And that is damn impossible in the time constraints that you're given within the first round. It took me a long time to realize that really my goal wasn't to, you know, thoughtfully kill everything and figure it out. My goal was to run past as many bad guys as I could <laughs> until they swarmed me and I had bees everywhere. And then I would reverse time and use several of the members to kind of take out different spots. So it got a little deeper later on once once I started to pick up on those mechanics, the idea that um, you have enemies to your left, right, up, and below. You split yourself four times. And you take out these people. I liked that, that I was starting to kind of 
um, use my wits a little bit more than this typical run and gun, which it was in the very beginning. I was just running through as much as I could, which I didn't like. And I actually didn't find that interesting. But when I started to strategize, um, that was cool. But then I got too smart and I realized I could just duplicate myself 30 times. The same person, as long as you don't die, you can duplicate them as many times as you want. And then if, if I did that and we each shot the boss, all I had to do was reverse time 30 times, shoot yeah. the boss once, and eventually wear the boss down in one second. Yeah. Now, that's cool to figure out that aha moment to me was quite brilliant. I actually don't know if I would find that interesting ever doing it again. Yeah, yeah so Carol pointed us on the review, and I had the same experience. Do you think it – does it matter if a game is exploitable – if it's fun and inventive, or do you think that is a problem? Because this game is exploitable. Mm. Oh, if it's fun, I, I don't think it's a problem at all. Okay. Uh, but th yeah, I didn't find it fun in those times during boss fights where I felt like I was just, I was spending more time just rewinding and layering more characters into the environment to eliminate the boss's health within the allotted time than I was actually like the, the fun part, which is kind of fighting the boss. You know, that is, so I feel like, like the mechanic usually. It made the game more interesting and enjoyable, but that was a that was a, an area where it it I felt actually got in the way a little bit, and I, where I, I would have felt like the boss fights were more rewarding if it was more kind of my skill as a player, you know, avoiding its attacks, you know, hitting weak points or whatever like you do in a typical boss fight versus just like oh I'm just gonna rewind and put another yeah. Jean Rambois in here I, and rewind. I think you're right about that, but. Um... I also think this this is a game that asks asks for multiple playthroughs where sure. you yep. they want you to be creative. Like it's just yeah. about being creative already on how you do it. Like I want to use these four guys in this way. I think that's I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, and I I, I agree. I mean, with that, I think that the abilities of the characters um, give you a lot a lot of flexibility in terms of how you approach you know boss fights and other situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's I think it's important though that the game kind of allows you and leads into that as opposed to just like letting the the person who's playing be I'm going to challenge myself by only using blocky blockers and like why don't you make me have that challenge why doesn't the game give me that like I wanted more um I wanted more situations where the game and you've played this you can mm -hmm. tell me all the way you can tell me if there's this comes up later but when the levels I played there was never a lot of times when it required based on having bad guys in very particular areas that I knew in this situation I'll need the range over here, I'll need the shotgun over here, and I'll need blocky over here. Yeah, that's what the I only wanted. the yeah. only time is uh, Amy can shoot through walls, so yeah. that's the only time it demands that. Yeah, so I wanted to ask a more general indie question because uh, I saw a lot of comments say like, "Oh, this looks like a Super Nintendo game," and it does. Do you think indie developers lean too much on the old school aesthetic? I think we're getting to that point. Yes, I think we're getting to the point where, uh, where the pixel, the retro pixel aesthetic is maybe becoming a little overdone. But and that really helps with development costs, though, right? Sure, like it must be way cheaper to yeah, make. Yeah, they're a game not doing it graphics. just because yeah. it's cool. Like, sure, <laughs> they're limited by having three people on a team. So is is it significantly cheaper to make something like that than? Uh, what, what, what was it? Watchdogs? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about because like tra Transistor, for instance, does oh, not okay, have an yeah. old school. Sure, sure, sure. It does not look like an old school. Transistor game. is not an indie team, and I think we no. need to be really clear here that when you're when you're defining a game and saying, well, why can't you just have like sweet stylized graphics like Limbo? That Limbo wasn't an indie game. That you're talking about studios of upwards of 75 people. Wait, 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 wait. Limbo what are you was made by a large team. Limbo so, was like, large. So like the Witness, uh, the Witness was made by eight people. 
which was shocking to mm. me because I was talking to uh, to Jonathan Blow about that and I did right. not realize. Like you can do really good, interesting looking games that are not. Do you know how much um, the witness cost to make? No, that's a that's a fortune. I'm just I'm just I'm just saying I'm just I actually don't know the logistics behind this. Because in the circle of game design, if you don't have people, but you have four million dollars, you can actually <laughs> make really good graphics. Um, but that doesn't count either. So. I mean, I would challenge you guys to to find that. I mean, there are games out there that have more stylized graphics, but it makes it harder and it's rarer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times when people are comparing indie games and saying, I'm so sick of pixel art, they're not actually talking about small design teams. Sure. And I'm not criticizing it at all as like a a practical choice or like like a choice made for financial reasons. I'm just saying purely like as as something that it's not going to continue to be like appealing in that oh it, oh it's you know retro you know it's charming inherently because it's pixelated like as a creative choice um indefinitely i but. think that's fair and you know i i also kind of get bored of of seeing it like that's a fair thing to do you can find ways around that like you know for example thomas was alone was super simple mm-hmm. but they found a way to kind of make you not pay attention to the uh, actually, they made the simplicity part of the overall concept of the game, which yep. was really smart. Um, how many times can you do that before that gets old? You know, I mean, they are getting pushed outside of that that comfort zone. But again, you have limited time, limited resources, and an extremely limited budget. Yeah, I I actually have not grown tired of it at all. I know you guys were all wondering because I, <laughs> I I like the retro aesthetic. Uh, so the one one other point that came up to me. With this, uh, so Mario Kart is coming out um, in a couple of weeks, and it's it's amazing. I love it. And this game just came out, and it's just on two systems. Like, how do you feel when great games are so limited in who can actually play them? Uh, well, I can play them on, so it's so uh, it's okay with me. I, I okay. feel indifferent because of. What gifts I've been given in life. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, that is very helpful. My, my privilege means that I do not have to have to concern myself with this problem. But so, you do. But you do see because if it's a multiplayer game, then you need other people there. Well, that's true. That's sure. True. So, like for me, um, Ali Ali came out in January. It was a Vita exclusive. Uh, it's one of my favorite games of the year so far. And as everybody knows, I love the Vita more than I love just about anything in the world. And I was really disappointed that it was a Vita exclusive because I wanted everyone to play it. And it now is coming to the PlayStation and PC. But uh, at the time, I was really upset about that. And Mario Kart is a similar thing where, like, this game is amazing and not many people are going to play it. So I'm actually disappointed that it's going to have such a limited, like, you know, such limited appeal ultimately. So I don't know if anyone else feels this way that I do, that I wish I, PlayStation and PC people were playing Super Time Force. Yeah, well, of course, when a, when a game is good, you know, I want it to be financially successful. I want the people who made it to be rewarded. I want them to be able to continue making games and hopefully doing interesting and, and good work. Um, so, uh, so yes, of course, I'm concerned in the sense that it limits how successful the game can be for the people who made it and how many people it, it can reach. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we always say if you have a complaint, Tom, you should have a solution. And is your solution that... Mario Kart will just be on Xbox and PlayStation. Mario Kart's obviously a difficult one because that's that's gonna be exclusive. The Last of Us had a limited thing because it was it was exclusive. But yeah, I mean Super Time Force, I wish it was other places. And Transistor is PS4 and PC, and it's like you know I, and it's and I understand completely. Like The Witness is on going to be on two platforms at first because it's eight people and they can't put it on Wii U 
and Expo and everything else. Right. But I guess I always I always feel sad when that happens because I just want everybody who is vaguely interested to have the opportunity to play it. Something I never understood was why Xbox exclusives weren't on Windows. That's all Microsoft platforms. Like I don't get why they separate that. Well, it's the competition, isn't it? It's but they're all Microsoft. They, they, because they want people to, to buy, buy Xboxes. <laughs> I guess. They're I fully aware of what they're doing. I mean, they want you to want to play with your friends, and they want you to feel bad about it, and they want you to buy and spend your money on <laughs> And where's my, where's my Windows Xbox doing. One cross-platform play? Where's that stuff? Come uh, on. That would be so great, wouldn't it? Come on. Yeah, this is a really nice utopian world that you've constructed. It's all yourself, Microsoft. Huh? It's all Microsoft. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, these are all great wants, but there's I know. nothing, nothing I, I just, is going to change about that. <laughs> I just felt sad. So I have one last question before we get out of here. Oh, yeah. So two, Super Time Force is all, oh, no. like, you travel back in the past for very dumb reasons. Yes. You want to find and steal the Holy Grail to keep a dumb chain of medieval time stuff Yeah, in dinner, dinner and tournament restaurants uh, yeah. Yeah, in business. So if you could go back in time mm-hmm. and change one thing in, in the history of gaming, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would it be? I would go back and make it so that Nintendo had never stopped packaging Rob with the NES. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Like, Is this true? They never backed down on that. They like, stuck to their guns. They're like, people will, people must see the value of Rob, the robotic operating buddy. Just because I, I want to, I, I'm, I would like to see just like how that would have impacted Nintendo. Well, like, well, how like would then would this, it have impacted? Well, because then, so then, like, connect, you know, for the 360 and the Xbox One, maybe there would have been, like, a Rob 2.0 with the <laughs> SNES, and, we, you know, maybe it would have, like, his his optical sensors would have been a little bit better and more responsive than those on the first Rob, and they would have, like, pushed this pretty hard, like, oh, it's a much better Rob than the last generation's this is, Rob. That's a terrible idea. It's amazing. You've got to connect into the Rob's eyes. Right, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe so, you know, but but maybe amazing technological advances in in like the you know, field of gaming, robotics. We'd still maybe there'd st- we'd still be playing games with robots today, you know, if 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 the Rob, if Nintendo had only believed in it enough to make it take off and to make it work, you know, at one moment. That is crazy, yeah. Benito. <laughs> do you needed. do you have a what if that you would love to do? Uh, what if from a uh, like. In the past, like, yeah. what I'd like to change. Yes, I wish they kept making Super NES games. <laughs> but you have to change something. Uh, oh, well, change that's, something that's from a, the that's past. No, that's, that's totally fine. Yeah, and I wish they did the the CD-ROM from for, for the Super NES, like the Dolphin, which was the PlayStation One. I wanted that. Mm. So you, you, I, I wish Nintendo had stayed as good and badass as they always. So you nah. wish they would have actually gone through with releasing the original PlayStation. Yes, for the Super Nintendo. Yes. So how would that change things if it happened? No more PlayStation, right? Sony's out of the game. Yeah. Probably no more Microsoft, and it would just be Nintendo versus PC, right? Like, most likely, and we would have awesome games on PC. Wow. <laughs> okay. Right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think a PC is a way more open... I mean, I'm a PC Master Race kind of guy, so, <laughs> you know, I'm biased. That's racist. <laughs> I got yeah, trouble saying that once, too. <laughs> oh, no. Mary, like what, is, what would you tinker with? Mine's not as good. I don't, like... My thought was, like, I would just go back in time and keep stepping on bugs and butterflies in the dinosaur era, hoping that at some point oh, something in the present would change and The Last Guardian <laughs> would be out right now. Oh, <laughs> no. All right. Oh, because I feel like it's possible we yeah. could have stopped, like, I don't know. Um, I'm going to mess this up, but, like, 
Mito Ueda yeah. from leaving. And I think being a freelancer, you know, he's not as I I don't believe he's probably not as involved or it's becoming more difficult. I challenge whether the game is fully still coming out in pr- production and I just wanted him to to really see it through. So, so it's those prehistoric bugs that have gotten I would, in the way. I blame the dinosaurs, uh, as most people do for present day issues. And uh, I would have brought maybe the asteroid in like a few minutes earlier and see how it pans yeah. out. So yeah, that's okay. my plan. Uh, so I do have a Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, if anybody wants to donate and get that game out, thank okay. you. So my one, which I have been holding on to for so long, is I wish that Perfect Dark, uh, instead of coming out in May of 2000 for the N64, would have been November of 2001 for the launch of the GameCube. And then it would have um, it would have competed head-to-head with Halo, which was unknown at that point, from the developer of GoldenEye. So all of a sudden, Halo is not as important. Mm. Uh, and also, Perfect Dark, uh, it had um, counter-ops mode, which was amazing, and it had bots, which is something that we haven't had in shooters, so maybe it would have continued that trend as opposed to Halo's online trends, uh, and then all of a sudden, Nintendo would have been seen as a more formidable competitor because they had a hardcore shooter on the GameCube, uh, so all of a sudden, uh, they would have they would have been relevant, and we might not have seen the Wii because they were so good with the traditional consoles, they might not have sold Microsoft Rare because they needed Rare to make games, and all of a sudden, with, with we, have Tom, a lot, we have a lot of stuff going on. It always comes back to Rare, Tom. And all, everything is about Rare for you. So I, I actually do want to write about this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, that's a way better one than mine. It makes me want to have another one. <laughs> oh, no. Go back in time, Mary, and then before the podcast. Sega hold on to Sonic so that the series would never go down the pooper. <laughs> oh, no. It, it started <laughs> in the pooper. <laughs> so no! next time. You're wrong, Tom. Next time you're on the show, we're going to ask you again uh, for for another one. Okay, we'll put you on the spot because today today was tough. Uh, but thank you, thanks for making. I mean, your first appearance I thought was great. I did it. I made it. You did. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, and, thanks for and having me, Caro. Yes, you were great as always. Ah, oh, thanks, Tom. You were great too. And Benito, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked at all, literally, without you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for watching. Next week, hopefully, Kevin Van Orde is back. Have a good weekend. Bye.